greet you in the name of Jesus. It's a privilege to to be here and to worship with you. I, uh, yes, I come from the Bethel congregation in uh, Vidette, Georgia. Gives me a, a little bit of a strange feeling uh, being Brother Ellis, I believe, was prepared. And uh, then I walk in the door. Uh, but I, I would like to give him the privilege to uh, let me know what that feels like if he comes to Georgia and return the favor. The title of my message is Streetlights. Story goes of an artist who invited his friend to his studio to see a work of art. And as he entered the, the studio, he, he put him in a dark room and left him sit there in the room for about 15 minutes. And then he went and got him and he showed him what he wanted to show him. But before he left, he said, I suppose you realize, or I suppose you thought it was odd, strange that I put you in that dark room. And he said, yeah, it was. He said, well, he said, I had to get the glare of the streetlights out of your eyes before you could fully appreciate the work of art. And as I think about that, and I think about our lives, think about what God wants to do in our lives. I believe most of us have felt the call of God in our lives. And we are endeavoring to live the Christian life. But for myself, I find the glare of many lights around me. And I wonder if sometimes those lights don't interfere with me seeing the picture, the plan that God has for me. What would God have for each one of us? What are those lights? Well, I think there's many lights. We have the economy, a good economy. Maybe there's a little extra. Maybe it's a poor economy. And there's the need. Maybe there's fear. Maybe it's the allurements of pleasure, the promises that Satan gives that there's something good that catches our eye. Maybe there's persecution. Maybe there are those who do not speak kindly of us for serving Christ. Maybe there's grief. My wife and I are on our way to Pennsylvania, and my brother-in-law passed away a month ago. We wouldn't have had any question that that was going to happen. I would have painted that picture differently if it would have been in my hands. Many, many different lights many, many glares that can take our eyes off of what God is trying to do. 
Maybe we're not looking at the canvas. Maybe we're holding it. And we don't understand what the artist is trying to do and we're not willing to turn it over. I'd like to read, to begin with, from 2 Peter 1, verses 1 through 4. Already been 2 Peter. 2 Peter 1, 1 through 4. Here he is speaking to those of like precious faith, those who were endeavoring to walk with God. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them who have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. As God would do a work in our lives, maybe there's things we can't understand, things that cause us to question the glare Many times, maybe we don't see it necessary, the painting that God wants to do. Because of the glare of the street, we don't fully appreciate what God is doing. We don't see it. We lose interest because what God is doing becomes rather dull. So that's my challenge. I have a few points to go with that. One is that we would know the artist. I believe if we're going to appreciate what God is doing, we're going to need to know the artist. Verse 2 says, through the knowledge of God. Verse 3, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. I'm made to think of the Samaritan woman she met Jesus in John 4. In John 4, verse 7, Then cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away to the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me? which am a woman of Samaria. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked him, and he would have given thee living water. If thou knewest, you would have asked. And hopefully we all know Christ. We know who Jesus is, not as this woman who was meeting Jesus for the first time. However, I believe we need to know the artist. We need to have a close relationship with him. We need to know him as Savior. We need to realize that he is capable of painting that picture. And then we need to know him as Lord. 
We need to be willing to give him the canvas and let him paint the picture. We need to know the artist. And as we think of the streetlights, what are the things that would cause us to lose appreciation for the work of art, for what God would paint in our lives? Things that would take our eyes off of Christ, that would cause our eyes to be clouded. I believe the more we know the artist, the more we will realize that our name is not as important as what we first think so. We have to give up our name, our identity, our life, our canvas. We have to give up the ownership that we hold to so dearly. We naturally don't like to turn it over. Our name's important. This woman at the, at the well, she realized that they were. She made a distinction here between the Samaritan and the, the Jews. And not really relating to, to this passage or, or to this subject, but in Genesis 11, when we have the building of the, the tower, tower of Babel, it said, they said, go to, let us build a city a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make a name. Names are important. Was it about God? No. Was it about his plan? No, it was for themselves. And I believe it gave them a little bit of security. It says, lest we be scattered abroad in the face of the whole earth. Could the glare of self-pride and selfish ambition of who I want to be, cause us to hold on to that name. God wants us to give us a new name. Isaiah 62, verses 2 and 3. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and all kings thy glory. And thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. I'm going to have to be willing to stand with the people of God if he can work in our life. We're going to need to take on his name, to give up our name, to be little Christ, as the people of Acts they became known as Christians. That's a name that we use very loosely in our day. But to them, that was a name that was a distinct identification. The Bible Dictionary says, in modern times, the name Christian has been somewhat emptied of its true meaning as a follower of Christ. To some today, Christian, the Christian means little more than a European or American who is not Jewish. Christianity is more than a creed, more than a religion. It is a way of life for all who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So we're going to need to give up our name. 
And we're going to have to turn it over to Christ and be his follower. Know the one who gives life. Put full trust in the artist and accept his call, his name, his ownership becomes his canvas. Don't be blinded by our own name because of who we are. We've lived maybe a good life. No, we need to give it to God. Next, I believe we can become blinded by the lights around us, and that's the stuff. We have lots of stuff. Probably each one of us has lots of stuff. Or we wish we did, or maybe both. We have lots of stuff and we wish we had more. There's a lot of stuff around us. Solomon had a lot of things. And two things in his life that changed the picture were the things that he had and his relationships that he formed. And we would say that God began a work in Solomon's life that was beautiful. He began to picture, to paint a picture in Solomon's life. And Solomon came to him and he asked for wisdom. And uh, we won't go back to that account. But he realized that he couldn't paint the picture. He couldn't do the work that God wanted him to do. He needed God. He needed the wisdom. And he asked God for that. And God was pleased. And Israel noticed that. And you know the story there. 1 Kings 3, 9 and 10. And, and then when he was called to judge and he made good judgment Israel noticed in the dedication of the temple 1 Kings 8 God was pleased 1 Kings 9 verse 4 maybe I will read that If thou wilt walk before me, as David thy father walked, in integrity of thine heart and in uprightness, to do according to all that I have commanded thee, and will keep my statutes and my judgment, then I will establish the throne of thy kingdom upon Israel forever, as I promised David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man upon the throne of Israel. God was pleased, and God was willing to paint that picture. But the work of God in Solomon's life turns. And we know he accumulated many, many things, many, many wives. And of his stuff in Ecclesiastes 2 verse 1, after listing all his accomplishments, he said that he hated life. Ephesians, or Ecclesiastes 2.17. And of his turning to other gods, 
to please his strange wives, God said, I will rend the kingdom. So no matter where we are in our Christian walk, beware of the stuff or the desire for stuff or the relationships. We don't have strange wives, but we have people around us who can influence us. What will we do to please others? Solomon used idol worship to please his wives. Another glare that will cause us to not fully see what God will do, I believe, is depending on man above God. Psalm 118, verse 8. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. How quickly do I want to grab that canvas and take it into my own hands and maybe take it to someone who knows more about what's going on than what God does, or at least I think so at the time. Psalm 146, verse 3, Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. His breath goeth forth, and he returneth to the earth. In that very day his thoughts perish. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. It's interesting that Jacob's name comes up here. I know we often speak of the God of Jacob, the God of Israel. The thinking of Jacob, what did he know about trusting in man? Jacob himself was a surplanter. He played a trick on his own brother, and Jacob knew what it was like to be tricked by Laban. He knew what it was to trust in man, but he also knew the God of Jacob, the God of Israel, the one who remembered his promises and could follow through, the one who could be trusted. And again, how often it is so easy to turn away, to turn our eyes off of God and to look to man. Man has ideas. Man has helps. Man has ways that we can be helped. Let's not go against God. The next one that could put a glare in our eyes, cause us to fail to see what God would do, is our own reasoning. Of how things could look as we reason through things and we refuse the counsel of others because we have it figured out through our own thoughts. On April 10, 1912, the largest ship the world had ever known set sail. The Titanic was gigantic. This white star liner was four city blocks long with passengers, passenger capacity of 3,500, including a crew of 860. The Titanic was fast, 
Her engines generated nearly 50,000 horsepower to propel her 46,000 tons of steel at a speed of 24 knots per hour. The Titanic was believed to be the ultimate in safety. Her builders were divi had divided her hull into 16 watertight compartments. So, do we ever feel like we have our life all together? On April 15, 1912, this stupendous, speedy, and safe ship sank. What lessons can we learn from this titanic tragedy? And then we look at what happened. At 9 a.m. on April 14th, the steamer Coronia sent a message warning of icebergs. The field ice ahead of the Titanic, and field ice ahead of the Titanic. Afternoon, a liner, the Californian, sent a message about three icebergs. The wireless operator, Harold Bride, who was figuring accounts, didn't bother to take down the message. At 1.42 p.m., the Baltic sent a warning of ice ahead. Bride wrote down the message and sent it to Captain Smith. A veteran of many voyages, the captain gave it to Mr. Ismay, and Ismay read it without comment and stuffed it into his pocket. Altogether, the Titanic ignored six warnings. At 11.30 p.m., the Californian sent the information. Say, old man, we are stuck here surrounded by ice. The Titanic wireless operator who was communicating with Cape Race, Newfoundland, replied, shut up, shut up. I am busy, I am work working Cape Race. 10 minutes later, a big iceberg loomed out of the darkness. Iceberg right ahead, yelled the, look the lookout crew. The crew tried desperate, desperately to avoid the berg, but it was too late. Do we tend to think through our own human reasoning that we have it figured out? Second Chronicles 30, verse 10. Here we have Hezekiah sending to the people to keep the Passover of the Lord. And he sent out the messengers in verse 9 of chapter 30, For if you turn again to the Lord your brethren and your children shall find compassion before them that lead them captive, so that they shall come again unto this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if you return unto him. So the post passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh unto Zebulun, but they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. Nevertheless, divers of Asher and Manasseh and of Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. Hezekiah's call to come to Jerusalem and the invitation had not been for some time. Some mocked 
and some heated. Some felt like there was no need for worship. There was no need for correction. Scripture talks of those who heed not the end time warnings as those who were or who are willingly ignorant. Don't allow complacency to blind your eyes, my eyes, to what God wants to do. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. Be willing to listen. Listen to those in your brotherhood. The next one is being willing to justify ourselves. And here we go to Luke 10. In Luke 10, we have a familiar account. We call it the account of the Good Samaritan. In verse 25, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And Jesus answering said, I jumped down. Verse 28. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. So he answered correctly. And Jesus came back and said, You have answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. Verse 29. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? How often has God shown me something in my life? Maybe it's a sin, something that needs correction, and yet I'm willing to try to work around it and make excuse to justify myself. Or maybe it's something as we have here in the story that follows, someone who needs help, some kind of service. And again, I make excuse. Maybe we have a knowledge and a full understanding. We have an excuse to justify because of who we are. God wanted to do a work in the Levite that passed by. And the priests But they had something else in mind. The Samaritan followed. Do we justify ourselves for not following the commands of Jesus? Do we justify ourselves in our lack of compassion on the hurting? Do we justify ourselves 
against God's commands because of what others are doing. Leaving the account here a little bit and thinking about the decisions that we make in life. Is it something that's good for us? Is it good for our family? Sometimes we have to answer that question and maybe one of the first things that come to our mind is, well, everyone else is doing it, or at least we feel like they are. Is it the picture that God wants to paint? And back to the story, the priest probably, you know, lived right up the road from the Levite. And he walked around him. So why couldn't the Levite walk around him? Ye are they, this is the words of Jesus, ye are they which justify yourselves among men, but God knoweth the heart. The Samaritan allowed God to use him to paint that picture on that canvas in the story we have today. Another light is that God is too slow. How tempting it is to run ahead of God God is doing a work, and yet, how often we feel that it is way too slow. I make to think of the time when Moses went up into the mount to receive the Ten Commandments. And he was up there with God for 40 days. And I don't know about you, but that's a long time. The people are down there and they're waiting and we can't figure out why they could just do such stupid stuff, you know. A golden calf of all things. And yet, they're down there and they're saying, what happened? You know, what's wrong? And if we'd have been sitting there in our culture, four days would have been enough. I mean, I think that would have been, I mean, we like things to go fast. We like things to, to, to get, we like to get things done. We like things instant. Uh, we're, we've grown up in that culture. We like, uh, we like microwaves and we like uh, instant coffee. Not really. But if someone sends us, you, you know, our electronics and if, if maybe if someone sends us a text message and or if we send them a text message and we don't get a reply back for a little while, you know, what's wrong? I mean, did, did they die? I mean, what, what's wrong? I think we're a lot like the children of Israel, a lot more than what I want to admit. But here they were, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they build the golden calf. God had taken... They were God's chosen people. Such a, there's so much there, but God in his greatness had taken time to come down and to spend 40 days instructing Moses and they got impatient. Let's not allow that light of impatience 
thinking that God is too slow. Let's not take things into our own hands. God's work, God's way is good. We may have to pause and say, God, I need you. My flesh, as the psalmist says, my flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart. So as these lights are around us, let's remember that God is trying to paint a picture. In his time, let's not use our own strength. Let's include our brother. The picture that he wants to paint, are we allowing him to do that? Do we appreciate what he's trying to do? Are we careless? And our eyes become clouded because of the lights that are around us. May God bless you as you serve him and allow him to paint that picture as he chooses. I'll turn our time back to Brother Ellis.